a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever felt like your marriage was in a rut? Like you lived separate busy lives and you seem to have lost the loving feelings? Well, on today's episode, Liz and I have a great discussion about roommate syndrome, why it happens, and what you can do about it. Nate Bagley is a marriage researcher and educator whose mission is to rid the world of mediocre love. His passion is helping people do the things that make their relationships extraordinary. In 2012, Nate did a cross-country road trip where he interviewed the country's most madly in love couples and renowned relationship experts to discover the secrets of truly epic, lasting love. Since then, he's given a TEDx talk, been published in Business Insider, Thrive Global, The Good Men Project, The Gottman Institute blog, and many other outlets. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to Stronger Marriage Connection. I'm psychologist Dr. Liz Hale, along with my colleague, the professor, Dr. Dave Schramm. Together, we are dedicating our life's work to bringing you the best we have in valid marital research, along with a few tips and tools to help you create the marriage of your dreams. It's an honor to bring to you today our friend, colleague, and marriage educator, Nate Bagley, who is as passionate about marriage as we are when it comes to marriages thriving, not just surviving. Nate Bagley, welcome to Stronger Marriage Connection. What an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, The honor is all ours, quite frankly. Your goal, Nate, is to rid the world of mediocre love. Gosh, I love that concept. That's brilliantly spoken. Where, Where does that desire come from and how far back does your study on marriage go? Well, that desire and the story goes back to clear to 2012. I was in my late 20s. I was dating a lot. Um, and for some reason, all of my relationships were kind of falling apart. And I was, I was getting really frustrated because a lot of these, um, women that I was dating, I'd break up with them or they'd break up with me and then they go on to marry the next guy that they dated. And I was like, Oh, in the relationship, I'm thinking, oh, maybe they have the problem and it's not me. And then afterwards, I'd be like, oh, it's obviously not a problem with them. Um, they're progressing <laughs> their relationships. So what, what's going on with me? And mm. I think one of my fears at that time was um, getting stuck in a relationship that felt mediocre, uh, getting stuck in a relationship that was laissez-faire, complacent, that kind of was wishy-washy, um, where we felt more like roommates than than lovers. And I think... I got a lot of anxiety when my relationships progressed to the point where we felt so comfortable with each other that the initial passion and chemistry and excitement started to fizzle. And I had this expectation that, um, that it should be different, that, that when you found your true love, when you decided to commit your life to somebody, that it, that that relationship was supposed to kind of operate on a higher plane. It was supposed to be the relationship that contributed the most to your happiness and excitement and joy and satisfaction and fulfillment in life. And if I was feeling a little bored or disconnected, then was that a problem? Like, was that, was the relationship broken? 
So I, I gained this commitment. Like when I get married, I don't want to have a mediocre relationship. I don't want to have the type of relationship where we stop going on date nights or we run out of things to talk about and we only talk about the kids. And, um, and it just, it feels like the, the passion and connection and, and what initially brought us together kind of just faded. And you, that was a big fear of yours, right? A mediocre marriage. Yeah. Maybe the biggest. Yeah, I can, oh, I can relate to that. I can relate to all those dead ends and how maddening and frustrating that was. And then didn't you do your own study? You went abroad, right? Yeah. Or I don't know where you went, across the country anyway, yeah. to study couples who seemed happily married. Yep. How, that, many, how many did you meet? The question drove me bonkers enough about what I needed to do right to have a successful relationship, the type of relationship that I wanted. I started to ask myself the question, um, what are the what are the couples who have the type of relationships that I want to have doing differently than what I'm doing? So uh, in in around that time, I ended up quitting my job and I partnered up with a friend of mine. Her name is Melissa. We we raised a thirty thousand dollars on a Kickstarter um, project, and we did this cross country road trip. We 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 drove all the way around the United States, interviewing couples and relationship experts and therapists and researchers to try and figure out what were the happiest and most fulfilled couples doing that the rest of us were not doing. That I specific my I mean. My focus on myself. What was I not doing? And I was hoping that maybe the answers that I would find on this journey would translate well to other people. And so we, re we recorded all these conversations, published them in a podcast. And that was my first kind of foray into realizing that there are common trends. There are common themes. There's, and there's common problems that people face over and over and over again. Um, and solutions to those problems that most people don't have access to because we don't have a marriage class in high school or college. Typically, you know, there's not, there's not like a, a course you have to pass in order to, to marry somebody. We all just kind of enter marriage with these really high hopes that the problems that plague couples won't plague us because we're different. And then when those, when those problems creep in, um, most people don't have the toolkit. They don't have the information. They don't have the knowledge, um, or the education to deal with those problems effectively, to have the type of relationship over time that they hoped to have on the day they got married. That's rich. I hope that podcast becomes a book. We can all read it. Can we still find that podcast? That's the goal. Yeah. The podcasts are still, um, you can go back and listen to them and part, part way through a book. So it's a slow well, process. Nice. But, I'm yeah. glad to hear that. We'll tell our listeners a little bit later where they can find that. Yeah, that's right. Thank Nate, you. one of the things yeah. that you're really passionate about is this idea that I think you call it the roommate syndrome or, or the roommate rut. So a couple things. First, tell us kind of what, what that is that you discovered. And, and second, is that normal for couples to kind of experience that roommate rut? Yeah, I think it, I mean, to answer the second part of the question first, it is normal. Uh, not only that, but I would argue that roommate syndrome, I'll describe what it is in just a second, but it's a feature of marriage, not a bug. Um, roommate syndrome to me is, I, I think it, it helps to contrast it a little bit when describing it with, with what it's not. When we first fall in love with somebody, 
we experience this really amazing cocktail of emotions and hormones and we feel excited. You know, we feel we meet this person who thinks you're interesting. They think you're attractive. They think you're funny. They love hearing your stories. They love spending time with you. There's this physical chemistry. You know, you, you, that first time you hold hands or the first time you kiss, you, you just feel so excited. You, you start to think these things like, Oh my gosh, is this the one I never, I, I, I've never felt this way before. I never want to let go of this person. Like I want, I want to feel this way for the, for the rest of my life, you know, and you start, um, investing more time and more energy and more attention into this person because of how good it makes you feel when you're with them. So we have this sort of reflected sense of self is what Dr. David Schnarch calls it, where the, the version of you that gets reflected back at you when you're with this person is like the best version. It's how you want to be seen. It's how you want everybody to experience you. Like, oh, you're the most important and the most interesting and the most fun and the, and, and the most funny and like most attractive. Like feels good to be the center of somebody's world and bring and be seen as somebody who brings so much positive into their life. And so we start to have this thought of like, what can I do to experience this as much as possible? And eventually, if the relationship progresses, we think like, well, maybe if we get married, maybe if we commit to be partners for the rest of our life, we can feel this way for the rest of our lives. Nobody's ever made me feel this way before. Maybe if I commit to this person, they'll make me feel this way for the rest of my life. And that's kind of the hope. Um, and then what roommate syndrome is, is the reality that that's not the case. The reality of marriage, of any committed relationship, long-term relationship, is that oftentimes the person who is your greatest source of joy and meaning and fulfillment and um, uh, purpose, um, the person who... Kind of helps realize your full potential. The person that you love most in the world oftentimes becomes your greatest source of frustration, of anxiety, of self doubt, of, um, of worry, of sadness, of pain. And in those moments where things stop being so good and start being frustrating or we start to help have that self doubt or that insecurity creep in, those are the moments where that I would call roommate syndrome. You start to wonder, did I marry the right person? You start to remember, you start to wonder, are we ever going to have sex again? Why don't we have interesting conversations anymore? When was the last time we went on a, on a fun date together? Um, these doubts start to enter your mind. And to me, that's, that's a clear sign that you're in the roommate rut. You, you're experiencing some roommate syndrome. And the reason I say this is a feature and not a bug is because every single couple gets to this place at some point. And there's a reason, and we can talk about that reason more in a minute, but hopefully that, that, um, sets a little bit of context as to what roommate syndrome is. Yeah. Wow. Um, I like how I see myself in your eyes. Isn't that interesting? It's how we get married and it's how we fall into infidelity. Yeah. Right? yeah. Isn't that our experience though? And we forget there's a lot more to that. Dave, did I interrupt you? Were you going to say something? No, no, that, that was great. Thanks for setting that up, Nate. You often take um, any type of question, type of question that's on your mind, Nate, and you take it to about 30 of your favorite marriage experts, which I love, and you took them this very question. If you had to get your marriage out of roommate syndrome in 30 days, what would you do to get that spark back and prevent it from happening again? Do you mind sharing some of those secrets? Yeah, yeah. And I think this is... Um... This is a great segue from the previous question. So you're exactly right. I, I had this question um, 
if you're stuck in roommate syndrome, what do you do? And my thought was, I'm going to go approach 30 of my favorite experts, relationship experts. Um, some are right here in front of us and ask them like, what would you do? What would you do if you found out your relationship was stuck in roommate syndrome? And the interesting thing was that I discovered was that everybody had a little bit of a different definition of what roommate syndrome was. And so it's hard to give a concrete definition, but I think we all know it when we feel it. Um, and then the other interesting thing was almost every response was slightly different depending on how they defined roommate syndrome. But the, con the consistent theme was it wasn't about grandiose gestures. It wasn't about like the big lavish gifts or going on vacation together. Um, it was, it was more about what are the small consistent things you can do over time to fortify your relationship so that on its worst days, it's still better than, um, it, it's the type of relationship that you still have like confidence and trust. There's, there's an element of, I can rely that my on my partner to be there, that they're not going to go anywhere. Um, and so, I, I mean, there's, you can go to, are we roommates? I, I think it's, are we roommates.com and listen to everybody's responses for free. But the, the overarching theme is, can be traced back to the quote from Dr. John Gottman, where he says, it's the small things done often that make the difference. I believe do you want me to, do you want me to go deeper than that? Is that too surface level of an answer? I believe it. Well, one more time, that site is areweroommates.com. Yeah. Okay, perfect. That's a nice little treat for all of us to go to. Thank you. Well, let, let me ask you this. You stated that the couples, they're constantly moving in and out you know, of this growth and this, this comfort cycle and then back to growth and comfort as determined by, by Dr. Uh, David Snarch that you talked about. What is this? What does this cycle mean? Do you want to dig in a little bit uh, with this? Because I think some of our listeners, they were like, okay, yes, Nate, I'm in this like right now. And uh, so what is it? I guess, how, how do couples get out of this? What did you discover from some of those 30 experts? Yeah, let me, um, let me share my screen so the people who are watching on video can, can maybe see this cycle. Because it can be a little complex if you don't have visual aid. Yeah. But I'll do my best for those who are listening awesome. via audio. You bet. Um, to to this get the will, whole thing. This will encourage people to go check it out on, on YouTube, right? So they can see see what you're showing. All right. So this is an, an image that illustrates the, the growth cycle. Um, I like to enter this. It's For people who are listening on audio, it's two concentric circles. There's a circle in the middle and then a circle on the outside of the one in the middle. And the enter point into these circles is down in the lower left corner, and it's anxiety. At some point in any relationship, you're going to experience some sort of anxiety. Um, you know, maybe your partner is hires a really attractive secretary, or maybe you put on some weight, or maybe you lose your job, or maybe you're dealing with mental health issues, or maybe a family member, um, uh, passes away and you're dealing with grief, or maybe, uh, like you're adding a new member to your family, like all of these common very normal experiences that we all face in life are going to introduce an element of anxiety. Things are changing. How are we going to adapt? Now, there's a decision point after you experience anxiety. Are you going to avoid the anxiety or are you going to lean into it a little bit? If you avoid it, you enter the inside circle of the, the growth cycle. So you avoid your anxiety. Your anxiety reduces and eventually uh, what you experience is boredom, like the boredom comes from not experiencing anything new or exciting or um, uh, what's the word Esther Perel uses all the time. Um, not it's not novel, but anyway, so essentially you're 
you, when your boredom comes when you're not experiencing anything new or exciting or novel in your life. And then um, what happens is because you're avoiding the hard things, unresolved issues start to creep into your relationship. You start to detach from your partner because you don't want to address those issues. It's too much, too much, uh, requires too much discomfort. You don't want to have that confrontational converse, conversation. And then at this point you have, once again, another decision tree where you're detached. You can either end the relationship or you take a risk. And typically that risk is like, okay, we're going to talk about this. We're going to address the issue. You know, we're going to lean into the discomfort a little bit. We're going to try and find a new solution. And that sends you out into the outer circle again, where you experience anxiety. So that's the inside loop of the, like the avoidance loop. Um, you avoid anxiety reduces, you get bored. These unresolved issues start to creep up again and you either end the relationship or you say, Hey, we need to address this. That anxiety creeps back up again. And if you stay on the outside of the circle and choose a different path instead of avoiding, what's going to happen is your anxiety is going to increase. And uh, at that point, you are either going, you're going to have to do one specific thing to move forward. And that's learn to kind of self confront and self soothe. So the, the anxiety goes up. You're worried. You're, you're concerned about maybe how your partner is going to perceive you. Can we navigate this appropriately? You're experiencing these big fight or flight emotions. And, um, this is going to help us build the muscle of learning to calm down in, in the middle of a, an emotional storm. Can I hold on to myself? Can I take some deep breaths? Can I? Uh, notice the moments where I feel like I'm getting defensive, where I feel like I'm getting critical of my partner, where I feel like I'm getting becoming contemptuous or angry and starting to lash out and, and make the conversation become unproductive. And as you start to notice and manage those emotions better, what happens is you do this amazing thing called growing up. You grow, you evolve, you become a better version of yourself. And, um, sometimes that growth leads down a path where you decide that you have outgrown your partner and the relationship ends. You know, the, I see this happen a lot with couples who are trying to deal with an issue and one partner is like, come on, like, let's go to therapy. Let's take a class. Let's read a book. I want to figure this out. Let's move. And the other person, person digs in their heels and avoids and avoids and avoids to the point where they're like, look, you're either in this relationship or you're not. And if you're not like, I want to grow, I want to become a better version of myself. And if you're not willing to come with me on that journey, I, I'm going to be forced to choose to go with somebody else. So that's one possible outcome. The ideal outcome, though, is not that the relationship ends, but that um, your partner meets you there. You both kind of grow together and it strengthens your bond and it increases your commitment and it increases your trust. And you feel more connection, more attunement um, and your relationship, the, the roots of your relationship grow even deeper and uh, you become even closer. And then it. Eventually, another moment is going to come along where you experience anxiety and you get to make that choice again. Do I want to yes. avoid or do I want to grow? So that's I, I know that's kind of a long answer, but um, that's a beautiful circle. I like that. This is this is the this is what proves that roommate syndrome is a feature and not a bug. So every couple at some point gets to a point in their relationship where they're going to experience this type of anxiety. They're going to experience some anxiety. They're going to ex be given an opportunity to grow. Typically, that exhibits itself as roommate syndrome, like, oh, we're in a funk. Things aren't going the way we want. Do we avoid or do we lean into it and grow a little bit? And the feature of roommate syndrome is it's essentially an opportunity for you to mature and deepen your relationship with your partner if you choose the growth path. So the opposite of roommate syndrome is what, Nate? What would you say? The opposite of roommate syndrome is growth. It's, it's using your relationship as a catalyst for you and your partner to grow as individuals and to grow as a couple. 
And what I've seen is that the couples who consistently lean into growth, um, their, their own individual confidence and their confidence in their relationship grows as well. It's like you start, if you weather enough storms, you start to believe that and, and kind of have a, a, an element of certainty that no matter what comes our way, we're going to be able to get through it together. And that only comes with choosing that growth cycle enough times where we're not scared of the hard things anymore. We're not scared of conflict. We're not scared of hard conversations. We're not scared of traumatic life events or struggles because we've been through this enough times that we know that when the going gets tough, we're going to choose growth and we're going to be there for each other and figure out a way through. And I think that's the beauty of, of roommate syndrome as a feature and not a bug and making growth the overall goal of your relationship. Yeah. We'll be right back after this brief message. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. And we're back. Well, let's dive right in. Oh, can I just pause and point this out, Nate, of how um, I feel like you're one of actually just a few people that actually focus on growth because so much the focus that I hear often is happiness. It's this personal, am I satisfied? And as soon as I'm not satisfied, I'm out. But your focus and happiness is, is great and it's an important part of relationships, but it shouldn't be the focus because it's a bad benchmark. Yeah, it is. It, it's a really bad that. benchmark. Oh, I, I love, Nate, that you focus on growth, which can be uncomfortable. It can be hard, but it's going in the in the right direction. That's the purpose, right, of this relationship, this life. And yes, hopefully we're happy. We have these great, wonderful, joyful moments and pleasure and all this other. But you keep focusing on growth. And I just say kudos to you because you're, you're nailing it. I love it. Well, Dave, the beauty of this is that happiness is a byproduct of growth. Yes. It's like fruit. You, if you chase happiness as, as your goal, like if you pursue happiness, you might experience it sometimes, but it's such a fleeting and difficult thing to measure. It's easy to move the goalposts yes. um, and, and it's impossible. It's literally impossible to be happy all the time. Yeah. If you're happy all the time, there's something wrong. Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a problem there. And so uh, there's an element of, of pursuing happiness that's setting yourself up for failure because it's so fleeting and it's so, so intangible. It's so hard to know what's going to make you happy and your partner happy. But in my experience talking to couples and talking to experts, um, one thing has maintained true and it's that the couples who focus more on this growth thing, will see that happiness come as a byproduct more predictably, pr predictably. And that happiness is, it's, it's a little bit more consistent. It may not be like an emotional, it, it may not be like a super high, high of happiness all the time, but there's this element of happiness that comes with that security that I talked about of knowing that I'm a part of, I'm a part of a relationship where it was relationship where two people are committed to growing and we have that confidence that whatever happens, we're going to be able to get through it together. Like that underlying baseline of kind of happiness and contentment uh, only comes from pursuing growth first. Spot on. And, and of course that commitment, right? Commitment is so key. I love that yeah. you bring that up too. 
You, I, I don't know what the Eisenhower matrix is. I hope that's a little easier to explain. Sorry for these more complicated questions, maybe. But they help you prioritize, prioritize your to-do list, you say, and how to use it in marriage, especially in eliminating the roommate syndrome. Can you say more? Yeah. So the Eisenhower matrix, we can probably pull up a graphic here for this in the post. Um, but the Eisenhower matrix is the reason it's named the Eisenhower matrix is because President Eisenhower realized something in his presidency when he was the president of the United States. And he realized that um, there's just too much to do as president to be able to get it all done. And so he had to figure out a way to organize the decisions he had to make and the problems he had to try and solve with his limited time in such a way that he knew he was getting the most important things done first. So he set the matrix up. It's uh, it's four quadrants. So it's like a square with a square through it. And in the uh, on one side, you have in the level of importance. And on the other side, you have the level of urgency. And so it's possible to have things that are important and urgent. They're important and not urgent not important and urgent and not important and not urgent. Does that make sense? And the idea, the goal of President Eisenhower was to focus on the second quadrant, which was important and not and not urgent. Um, yeah, because like you don't want when everything is urgent, you're constantly living in a state of stress. And what he noticed is that um, oftentimes when he was operating under that current, that, that constant state of stress, the things, the things that were important but not urgent, like spending time with his kids or going on a date night with his wife would get pushed to the side because he had to deal with like a national, emer an international emergency or a bill that needed to be signed into law or some other political issue. And if he only spent his time on things that were urgent and important, then the things that were truly important to him but not urgent got left by the wayside. And so he started trying to organize his life and deal with the important and urgent things um, that were that needed his attention the most and delegating the things that were urgent and important that he didn't have to be involved in so that he could free up time to spend time in the quadrant uh, of important and not urgent because uh, he found that those those relationships um, that were most important to him often fell by the wayside. So obviously, like... So it's worth taking, I guess, an audit of your time and thinking, where am I spending the majority of my time? A lot of people spend a lot of time in the not urgent and not important quadrant. This could be like binge watching TV shows, scrolling on social media. Like none of these things are urgent and none of these things are really that important to us. But it's a way that we maybe deal with stress or we numb out or we just like uh, pass time when we're bored. So how do we minimize the time we spend in that quadrant and maximize the time that we spend in the important side of things. And then if our life is full of urgent, important things or just, or urgent, unimportant things, like let's reflect on that. Why is everything so urgent? Do we have a, a planning issue? Um, are we overly committed to work? Is, uh, are we blowing small things out of proportion? Um, and how can we spend a little bit less of our time dealing with things that are just like drop last minute, big, urgent priorities and, and find ways to spend time on things that are important and maybe not so urgent all the time. I'm going to be thinking about that all day. Yeah. Because I'm and, definitely in the important and urgent quadrant. Yeah. And <laughs> the interesting thing is how many people, um, when you spend, sorry, this is my brain just kicking up ideas here, but when you spend all your time in important and urgent, what happens is the not urgent things start to, when they're neglected for too long, they start to work their way into urgent. So like 
for me, me, for example, if I neglect my wife long enough and put her in the not, the, the not urgent category, we're going to start to experience problems and issues. And then one day she's going to be like, should we get a divorce? Because I do not feel like I'm a part. I'm just constantly playing second fiddle to all the other things you have going on in your life. So if you're only working in the urgent category, the things that are not urgent will eventually creep in. And you'll notice that the things that are most important to you are going to become urgent. And you don't want your marriage or your relationship with your kids to feel to urgent. be in that quadrant, right? Yeah, because yeah. if they're urgent, it means they need right. attention now or something bad's going to happen. Yeah, you don't I've want neglected your, them far too yeah. much. You don't want those relationships to be in that quadrant. Like that's the worst place for them to be because it means something, something bad could be happening. And oftentimes as a result of your neglect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nate point blank question for you. What do we need to do to have a great marriage? Yeah. I mean, I want to go back to that uh, John Gottman quote um, that it's the small things done often that make the difference. So if I could urge people listening to this episode right now to do one thing, I would say focus on cultivating a strong friendship. Um, friendship, like almost all of the common relationship issues that I hear about, communication issues, intimacy issues, all stem from a, a fractured friendship. And when I say friendship, I'm talking about something really specific here. Friendship consists of three things. Um, and those three things are, I know you, I like you, and I trust you. So when, when you know somebody, you know, their desires, you know, their interests, you know, their fears, you know, the people that are important to them in their life, you know, what's stressing them out. Like you have a deep, intimate knowledge of who they are as a person. And that knowledge is constantly being updated because your life, your par- partner's life and their situation and their, their relationships are constantly changing as well. So being in tune with your partner and what's changing in their lives and what's important to them. That's the, I know you, I like you is you enjoy spending time together. You know, you light up when the other person walks into a room, you laugh together, you um, look forward to seeing the other person. And that hinges a lot on gratitude. Um, so like, are, do you, do you, are you grateful? Do you find ways that your partner, are you proactively looking for ways that your partner is contributing in a positive way to your life and letting them know that's what builds affinity. That's what builds that. I like you. And then I trust you. Like, will you be there for me? Um, can I rely on you? Will you keep my secrets? Will you be there for me when I need you most? Um, are you dependable? Uh, do you show me through your actions and your words that you're committed to me into this relationship? Um, and as you strengthen those three pillars, uh, uh, I guess the opposite, the opposite is what I should say. When one of those pillars becomes weak, that's when roommate syndrome starts to creep in. That's when we stop having sex. That's when we stop communicating with each other. Oh, I don't trust him anymore. I'm not going to share this aspect of my life with him. Or, oh, she doesn't like me. She's just constantly complaining about all the things that I'm doing wrong and the ways that I'm making her life harder. She doesn't even appreciate me anymore. Or, um, like, when was the last time he asked me a question about my life or my friends? Like, I feel like I'm married to a stranger. Like, those are oftentimes the first problem that precedes a lot of the bigger problems like infidelity um, and uh, and other big issues that creep into a relationship is that lack of friendship. So if you can strengthen those three pillars that I know you, I like you, and I trust you to have a strong friendship and just do little things every day to build, to build trust, to express gratitude, to get to know your partner and what's going on in their world. Those three things at a bare minimum are going to help keep your relationship strong, even during the hardest of times. Ah, I like that. 
There, and you probably answered this question already, dear Nate, but what do you believe is a key to a stronger marriage connection? We like to ask all of our guests that particular question. Um, I, I mean, to bring it back to what we were talking about earlier, it's getting on the same page that our commitment as a couple is growth first. Like when we run into a struggle, when we're having a disagreement, when we don't see eye to eye on something, when something unexpected pops up into our life, we both have the attitude of not avoiding the difficult thing, but leaning into it a little bit and trying to find a solution that works for both of us um, so that we can grow. Part of that is, um, I think, a really. I don't know why we don't talk about marriage this way more often, but I, I think marriage should should be a relationship where um, you're maximizing enjoyment for both people. So the things that make you feel fulfilled and make you feel loved and make you feel happy and, and those things, those are important to me just as much as they're important to you and vice versa. And if we can approach our relationships through that lens and, and try and think of ways to how can I make this relationship as enjoyable for you as, and enjoyable for me, um, that can help us kind of lean into that growth mindset a little bit and self-assess like how am I maybe making your relationship or your life a little bit harder? Are there things that I'm avoiding or things that I'm doing that are adding stress or adding anxiety to your plate? And if so, how can I be responsible for that and clean it up? How can I grow up a little bit and address those issues? Oh, I'm not comfortable expressing my emotions very well. That's a really hard thing for me. And instead of like avoiding it and saying, that's just how I am, how can I maybe lean into it a little bit and be like, yeah, this is a weakness. And I can see that it's making you miserable. It's making you sad. It's making you feel disconnected. How can I take some responsibility for that and grow up a little bit? Maybe I come from a, a, rela a family that's like really accusatory. You know, the way we deal with conflict is we yell and scream and, and we put each other down. Oh, yeah, that's a way I was raised. And I can see it's bringing you a little bit of misery. Like you hate that conflict. You don't like it when I tear you down and attack you. And I get really critical. This is a part of myself. That's like contributing negatively to our marriage. How can I make your experience of being married to me a little bit better by taking some responsibility, growing up, learning to communicate my disappointments and frustrations in a more palatable way so that we can both be a little bit happier. It's like, that's, that's the goal. Love it. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad we still asked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Nate, you've shared so many so much great information and resources um, for us. Where can people go if they're they're listening? They say, man, this is amazing stuff. Where can they go for more uh, information about you and, and what you offer? Yeah. Um, if you want to listen to those podcasts, you can go to growthmarriage.com. Uh, obviously, we had this whole conversation. You understand why I call it growth marriage, because I think marriage should be all about growth. Uh, and if you want to dig more into like the education side, you can go to um, you can go to the Epic Marriage Club. So epicmarriageclub.com. I've got a bunch of courses and resources there where you can kind of educate yourself on some of these principles that we talked about. Awesome. Yeah. And we'll put those in the, the show notes for our listeners um, as well. Hey, Nate, before we let you go, we'd like to to just ask all of our, our guests what they feel like the, the takeaway uh, of the day is. What, what would, do you hope that our listeners will remember? Hmm. I hope that they remember that um, the level of satisfaction that you can get out of your relationship, you have way more control over it than you think. A lot of times I think uh, we enter a relationship and we we buy into this idea that we're victims of our partner's actions or their level of commitment. And um, 
especially if you're unhappy in your relationship, you kind of throw your hands in the air and you go, there's nothing I can do if, if they're, if they're not doing the, this thing for me to make me happy. And I hope that this conversation has helped people realize that they have way more of a direct impact on the satisfaction and fulfillment that they can experience in their relationship. If they stop thinking so much about changing their partner and start thinking about more about how can I grow? Um, one of the side effects of growth in your, it, like you growing up as an individual, you changing, you evolving and becoming a better partner is it's going to intentionally and automatically put pressure on your partner to grow up as well. And without you even saying or, or, or asking them to do it, when you, when you stop participating in the cycles that are not working for you in your relationship, the ones that cause you pain and you, you start showing up and acting differently and acting more mature and um, changing your approach, your partner can't do the same thing that they've always done because you're not doing the same dance with them anymore. Um, so my hope is that people realize that if you just focus on what you can control, your own growth, your own development, that um, you can experience a lot more personal satisfaction and your partner is more likely to follow you that way than you trying to drag them into the growth cycle. Okay. Huh. Man, gorgeous. powerful. Powerful, yeah, Nate. Liz, what about you? What's your takeaway of the day? Yeah, I don't want to forget that, um, Dave, what, what Nate just said, because I was thinking the same thing, that max maximum joint enjoyment, right? And to look in the mirror and say, how am I... What am I doing to add to his life or detract from his life? And where where can I grow up? Something about that 100% accountability just feels so much better than feeling like a victim, right? As Nate was saying about the power that we have, I'm saying that all day long, it feels like, about your power, our power, my power. What about you, Dave? What's your takeaway? Yeah, Nate, I, I really appreciate this discussion. It's it's opened so much uh, up for me. I love the the growth. I, I kind of think of it as the roots and the fruits. You know, this growth is the roots, and then the fruits of it is this happiness, great sexual relationship, and this you know that that's the really the fruit of all this work and growth that takes place down in the the roots of the of the relationship. But I love how you put. Um, see if I can get them right. These these questions that I like you, I know you, I trust you. I think those are those pillars really of the of the friendship that Gottman has talked so much about that you've emphasized today. So wow, so much for, uh, for our listeners to to really ponder and think about and think about ways that they can improve their their own relationships. Um, Nate Bagley, thanks so much again for joining us. I, I just want to let listeners know Nate has done so much for so many years uh, in so many aspects of the Utah Marriage Commission. So the Utah Marriage Commission really is, is who produces this podcast. And Nate has really been um, so foundational in so much of, of what we've done. So we're grateful that he's taken time, Nate, uh, to come on and share so much wisdom with us. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Anytime you want me back, I love talking about this mm -hmm. stuff. So um, if anybody finds it valuable, like leave a comment, send Dave and Liz an, an email. Um, but honestly, it was just a joy and a pleasure to be here to talk about you with, talk about this stuff. Hey, well, thanks again, Nate. And for our listeners, thanks yeah. so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time. And remember, it's the small and simple things that make a stronger marriage connection. We'll see. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, do us a favor and take a few minutes to subscribe to our podcast and the Utah Marriage Commission YouTube channel, where you can watch this and every episode of the show. When you hit the like button and leave a comment, your feedback helps us improve the show. And don't forget to share this episode with a friend. You can also follow and connect with us on Instagram at Stronger Marriage Life and on Facebook at Stronger Marriage. Be sure to share with us what topics you want us to explore. 
or what you loved about today's episode. If you want even more resources to improve your relationship connection, visit our website at strongermarriage.org where you'll find free workshops, webinars, relationship surveys, and more. Each episode of Stronger Marriage Connection is hosted and sponsored by the Utah Marriage Commission at Utah State University. And finally, a big thanks to our producers Rex Polanis and Alexis Alcott and the team at Utah State University. And you, our audience, you make this show possible. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.